hi, I'm Zach Snyder, and you're listening to the Black Bar Podcast. For this week's two-part episode, I'll be joined by my co-hosts Caleb Weidman and Nick Mayo as we talk with our friend Brian Lee, a certified Enneagram coach and creator of the Gospel-Centered Enneagram. If you haven't yet, we recommend you watch Brian's YouTube video on the Black Bar channel and that you take an Enneagram test before listening to these episodes to help you identify your number. You can find the links to both in the show notes. In part two of this week's conversation, Brian shares how the Enneagram can be used within creative teams and ministries to better foster a healthy environment of empathy and understanding. Brian also talks about the importance of identifying where each number moves to in health or stress and how we each can use that knowledge to mature in our understanding of who we are. So together, let's get into part two of today's conversation to uncover the secrets of the Enneagram. So being that this is the Black Bar Podcast and we are a church media, church creative, uh, you know, ministry podcast, YouTube series, all that kind of thing. Is that what we are? Yeah, yeah, something like that. I, I would love to talk about, you know, obviously, uh, uh, Brian, you have plenty of experience in church media, being a church creative and all that kind yes. of stuff. Um, what does what does the Enneagram, practically speaking, mean for people working in this environment? Sure thing. I realize now I'm going to give you a very long version of that answer because we never actually talked about credentials. Um, so I don't want people to think I'm just some hack that you guys found on the side of the road. <laughs> it was Craigslist. I'm sure to your normal audience that this kind of comes out of left field. It's like we're talking about enneagram and personality. Like, what is this even? So, I have been a church creative for pretty much my whole life. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Whether it's serving on worship teams, doing graphic design, handling all the media or the marketing, um, I've functioned in one of those roles for well over 20 years now. I grew up in my dad's church playing the piano and leading the worship there. I went to the University of the Valley Forge as a church music major, graduated and went straight to the marketing department doing graphic design, which makes a whole lot of sense. Um, That's where I met all three of you guys teaching digital design um, while also teaching music classes. Probably some of the best years of your life, I'd imagine. Actually, yeah, it really definitely. was. And I'll be, I'm will i going to be totally 100% honest with you guys. You guys were my absolute favorite class ever. Hey, hey now. I'll take that. How about that? I, I loved teaching uh, that class specifically. That was fun. It was a, so much fun. And then I went, I left Valley Forge and went back into a music uh, worship pastoral role, but ended up kind of working with the creative arts department and still doing a ton of graphic design for the church and marketing. And I'm still doing some of that to this day. And now I'm in a much more executive role um, on a pastoral staff and team. But man, creative and media and church is in my blood. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. what I do. It's what I love. I have a passion for it. That's why I'm so glad that you guys are doing this with Black Bar and equipping people with the tools that they need to not just do their jobs, (laughs) but to thrive together in the way that they do it and to recognize that they have a call on their life pushing pixels and doing the work that so often gets overlooked or just kind of expected. There's so much value in just validating people who are doing that job. You know, we've, especially in this last month with churches having to go online and digital, I think people are forced to see your value now. And I love that. So why does it matter for creative people? (laughs) Well, because I think we ended our last episode with it, is because it allows us to show grace and compassion to ourselves and to other people. And if that's not what the gospel is about, I don't know what is, because man, am I in need of grace. Man, am I in need of love, and man, do I need Jesus. Um, It can help us understand ourselves and others more, and how would that not help us develop better teams, right? Yeah. 
the more I can understand myself, the more I know the effect that I have on other people. I've survived my very fair share of church hurt and trauma, and I think we've all had some kind of experience where you've had the leader, the boss, the coworker, the whoever, that was just, it felt like a toxic environment and it burned you in some kind of a big way. Yeah. And I walked away from that for, for years trying to deal with the fallout of it. And man, if the leader just wasn't such a coward or man, if they had dealt with this differently or, or oh, they were just wrong or man, they just hurt me and they don't even realize it and just walking away with all this baggage. And it doesn't invalidate any of that stuff, but learning about the Enneagram and learning the way that I tick and learning that the way that they tick and recognizing that it may not be the same suddenly gives me a lot more grace for the way that they handled it, for who they are as a person, not just as my pastor or boss, but as a person. I walked away from a lot of those situations making myself a vow that I would never be that kind of a leader. Mm -hmm. It was this effect of this person is so destructive in their relationships and they leave a wake of destruction behind them and they don't even know that they're doing it. And I think we've all come across some kind of person who seems blissfully unaware of their effect on other people in life. So I promised myself to not be that kind of leader and I wanted to know how I was affecting the people who worked for me and around me. So I wanted to learn as much about myself as I could so that I would be aware of the effect that I have on other people. And that's kind of where the Enneagram has landed me. And I think if we all approach it that way, it's like if we can learn about ourselves enough to know the effect that we have on others when we demand this or when we help in this kind of way or when we push or when we pull away and disappear because life is too much, any of those things, right? There's nine different ways of doing that. If we can learn that about ourselves and we can learn that about the other people that were around, wouldn't that really drastically transform our relationships with each other? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, You know, I've been thinking a lot about the golden rule. It's like, it's not just do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but it's like, if our greatest desire really deep down is to be known and loved, not for what we do, but for who we are, then wouldn't we want to extend that to someone else and get to know and love them? Again, not for what they do, but for who they are. Henry Nouwen has this great quote about the three lies that we tell ourselves. And it's this idea of, it's like, I am what I do, I am what I have, and I am what other people say about me. And those are the three lies that we've been telling ourselves our whole lives. And what if we set all of those things aside and didn't have to believe that I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what others say about me. But it's like, I am who God says I am. I am who he created me to be. I am that perfect reflection of what he created me to be. Yeah. And once we can start to move in that kind of a direction, oh man, life becomes something really special when we work with each other in that kind of a way. And it's, it's, it's the whole First Corinthians. Like, I can do all these things, but if I do them without love, I'm just a clanging symbol. <laughs> I'm just noise, right? Yeah. So, you know, we talked earlier about centers of intelligence and being able to to know how we perceive and and be in the world. On the other side of that, there's these things called stances. And we talked about kind of process of elimination and figuring out your number. So, centers of intelligence, you know, if you're in your body and you respond by doing, you're an 8, 9 or 1. Twos, threes and fours respond with their feelings. Fives, sixes, and sevens respond with their thinking. Now, on the other side of that, those are our primary centers. Now, in your stances, this focuses on your repressed center. There's three stances, and they kind of have different number combinations, but we'll get there. So, the assertive or aggressive numbers are threes, sevens, and eights. 
and they are repressed in their feelings. Caleb, don't say anything. Right? So (laughs) they push all their feelings down to the bottom of the pile. Right? They'd rather not deal with them because they just get in the way of things. They're also oriented to the future. Their brain is always moving forward, always moving ahead and jumping to the next thing. And then in response to people, they move against people. They push against people to get their needs met. They react to stress by making themselves bigger in the room. So they, they're kind of the bigger personalities that seem to stand out more often. So that's three, sevens, and eights. Then you have ones, twos, and sixes are in the dependent stance. This is me. I'm repressed in my thinking, which sounds completely, you know, wrong. <laughs> I'm offended by that. And when I heard it, I was like, that can't be right. I think all the time. And then I heard another teacher describe it like this. They, they said, yeah, you think all the time, but how often is it actually productive? Mm. And then that Oof. got me. I was like, oh, that hurts. That hurts in a really real way. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, let's do this. Rip it off fast. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so ones, twos, and sixes, we're repressing our thinking. We are oriented to the present, which means the here and now. More often than not, we are kind of out of sight, out of mind people. If it's not right in front of me, I will not consider it. And that's definitely me. And then we move towards people to get our needs met. So for me, I know what I want, but I don't try to go get it unless I hear feedback from someone else. I'll go to someone's like, hey, I was kind of thinking about this thing. What do you think? And I'll wait for their response, which sounds crazy. Like to a three, seven or eight, they'd be like, well, I'm just going to go get it, right? Mm -hmm. That would never occur to me (laughs) to do that. It's like, no, 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 (laughs) but I need to hear from someone first, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So again, just knowing that about ourselves and each other, that a three, seven, and eight is just going to push to get their way, and a one, two, or six is going to wait to get feedback from someone first, that changes the way that we work with each other. I know, oh, no, yeah. like for myself, like I am a very verbal processor, and when I'm feeling things deeply, when I'm empathizing, when I'm absorbing others' feelings, I just need to process that verbally. And more often than not, I will drop subtle hints or cues. Uh, almost waiting for that person to ask me what I'm feeling. Like mm. I need to, mm. like I, I know I need to process this, but I mm. don't want to be oh, a yeah. burden. So I would like their permission in order to share what I'm feeling. So I connect with you there. And it's just so funny how we are in the same stance, uh, you and me, Brian, but we have such different, <laughs> different ways to right. go about achieving that. Yeah. And it, it's funny because I know if you ask Caleb, you could, he'll probably tell you that I'm a verbal processor too, which uh, mm-hmm. I imagine for <laughs> for him can be kind of frustrating at times. I mean, there there's certainly going to be differences between the numbers, but knowing knowing that is helpful because obviously trying to show love to you, right? Understanding when you need to verbal process because I know that's what you need. That's what I'm going to do. Now, just don't expect me to come verbal process with you. <laughs> right, right. Because I already know what I want to do. If I'm talking with you, it's because I already figured it out. That's right. <laughs> I, want you, I want you to tell me I'm right. That's so. right. Well, and so that's another part of it, right? So if you know they need a verbal process, it's not even that they need a verbal process. It's they just want They just want feedback. <laughs> They want to know that you need them and appreciate them and want them there. And for you, you just want to get the job done. Mm -hmm. Right. So when so on the money, right? When both of you understand (laughs) that about each other, then you don't take it so personally. (laughs) When Caleb just pushes, it's like, well, why isn't this done yet? Or Caleb doesn't take it personally when you guys are like, yeah, but I just have this other question about the thing. It's not that you're questioning his authority. It's not that you're questioning what he's asking you to do. You just want him to give you feedback. 
And if he can take that two seconds to value you and say, hey, I value your opinion, I want to offer you this, then wouldn't that change the way you go about your work? I am having one of those moments where I'm like, my mind is absolutely blown right now. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Brian. I, I can all, I'm already thinking about all the times where, where Nick has sent me something for review and mm-hmm. I just, I just don't look at it for a couple hours oh. and, and, and like to, cause to me, it's like, all right, he's just going to just make it happen. And Nick no. is probably sitting there just begging, <laughs> please, silently begging, please, please help look, me. At, look at my video. This is it's like, it, I've got other stuff to do, you know, but. This has it's, been a lot better recently, but there were, this is like years ago. I remember there was one project I sent you something and I remember waiting, I think three days going, when is Caleb <laughs> going to get back to me about my stupid video? I need to make edits. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's yeah. And understanding this, right. Is, right. is a su- super, super helpful. I want, before we break down all of our dysfunction, let's cover the last triad. <laughs> yes. triad. Yes. So Sorry, I was going to say, let's sure take the heat off covered. of Caleb here. So we talked about <laughs> aggressive numbers. <laughs> So we talked about aggressives, three, sevens, and eights. We talked about dependent numbers, ones, twos, and sixes. And the last group is the withdrawing stance. And that's the fours, fives, and nines. So they are repressed in their doing, right? So that's the last thing that they think about is doing something, which again, might sound offensive. You're like, no, I do stuff all the time. I would ask you to stop and ask yourself, it's like, how often is my doing something productive? And how often is it something that actually needs to be done? Withdrawing numbers are oriented to the past. So in their mind, they're always going backwards to something else that already happened. And their orientation to people is they're moving away from people for for fear of not having their needs met. So when you can understand these three stances and see how completely differently we occupy the world. So for Caleb, an aggressive number to move against and push to get his needs met, to be always thinking forwards and in the future and to be repressed in his feelings, to be dealing with someone on his team who might be a withdrawing number is the polar opposite of him, right? So in a way, Caleb just being, let's take it off of Caleb, a three, no, let's make it a seven. Let's make it a seven. None none of us. A seven being the boss, being aggressive, repressing their feelings, oriented to the future, and moving against people. To just be in the same room as someone in the withdrawing stance might be a complete offense to that person just because of the way that they are, let alone anything that they've done yet, right? So I'm a withdrawing number. I I do doing last. I'm kind of always dilly-dallying around or kind of waiting for something else to happen before I do something. I'm thinking about something that already happened in the past. I kind of can't get my brain in the future. And then I'm always withdrawing and pulling away from people when I'm in conflict or stress. Like that's automatically going to cause conflict. So if I can be aware of those differences and learn how to meet in the middle or temper my reactions or bring up a little bit more energy if I need to, to be in the present moment, man, what would that do for team dynamics? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. I know one of the uh, the things you mentioned there, the idea of, of, I know my triad is very much future focused and then there's present focused and then there's a past focused. I remember when, when I heard that the first time, it just like a light bulb went off. Cause I, and, and Nick will tell you, I am very much 
vision casting. <laughs> I yes. am looking forward. Yep. What is the ne- forget everything on our plate right now? Mm-hmm. What is the newest, <laughs> coolest, best thing that we could be doing? Yeah. And meanwhile, I have I have two twos in my department. Right. They're both probably just sweating because mm. they're like, but there's so much to do right now today. Yep. Right. Yes. <laughs> and I like I hate to do lists. I hate all of that. I just want to dream. Right. So mm-hmm. the if I want to be successful and have a team that number one doesn't hate me, but number two enjoys what they do and enjoys the work environment, I I need to understand that that's a need that they have, and to address that and give them what they're looking for, so that they can trust me when we start pushing towards the future stuff that I'm you know I'm always going to be leaning towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I can tell you there there is nothing more frustrating in the world <laughs> to me than working with someone who's the past people uh, uh-huh. like the, the people like that's the way it's always done people i literally i i like i kind of want to kick him in the face i get it now <laughs> i totally understand it but it's something i'm working on just being honest for sure and i want to give you some credit caleb you know i think if you look at it it you know having a lot of these personalities and healthy interactions can really help a department because you know me and the other two in our department like you know, we can really help focus on getting projects done now, but we also need that vision casting as well. Otherwise, we're only going to be stuck on the, what's on our plate and never grow. So, which I think is great that we have that balanced dynamic in our department. Sure. Yeah. Brian, would you mind just running through the stances? Um, so, again, it's so easy to get caught up in all the negative components of this. For for the assertive, dependent, and, and the withdrawing, would you mind just saying the strengths of a leader that has those things? Ooh, I like that. Yes, I can. And before I do that, can I just say I'm so glad, Caleb, you used the word trust with that. Because this goes back to the rules that we talked about, is that you don't use it as a sword and you don't use it as a shield. So mm-hmm. right. when you're the boss, you don't walk into a room, it's like, well, stop being a withdrawing number right now and just get the job done, right? <laughs> yeah, and as sure. as the employee or the direct report, you don't wait till the boss walks out of the room. It's like, well, I can't help it. I'm just a, right? Right, we, right. We both have to do our work. We both have to bring our strengths to the table and we both have to realize that we don't occupy the world the same way. So the strengths of each of these stances, so again, there's the assertive or aggressive stance. These are our threes, sevens, and eights. They make natural-born leaders. And it doesn't mean that all the numbers can't lead well, but the three, sevens, and eights, they just get the job done. They are doers in a way that is very unique. Um, because they're oriented to the future, it's like Caleb saying, it's, like, it's, it's just natural tendency for them to vision cast and imagine a future where. And because they move against people and because they push, they're constantly pushing people to do the work to get the job done, to be better at what they're doing, to move the vision of the organization or the church along. So you'll see a lot of aggressive or assertive numbers in leadership positions. Again, it doesn't mean that all the other numbers can't be great leaders, but they just kind of do it naturally. Dependent numbers are ones, twos, and sixes. We get the job done in a different way. We are the dependable ones. We are the ones you look to that are looking out for the best needs and of the group. Like we're usually thinking about everyone. And because we're oriented to the present, when those visionaries walk in the room and like, hey, here's this great idea, the ones, twos, and the sixes are the ones pumping the brakes. It's like, hold on. 
how are we actually going to get that done? Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> right? So, and it's Yeah, up, I feel it too. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's up so it's up to those aggressive numbers to recognize that they need those dependent numbers because if all we did all day was vision cast, nothing would get done. We'd all be dreaming about something that never happens because none of us put our hands to the plow. Ones, twos, and sixes need to realize that they need those visionaries in their life because otherwise they would just do the same thing they're doing every day, yep. right? Because we're so present-minded, it's like, I just do the work that's right in front of me, and I don't stop very often, if ever, to imagine the future where, right? Now, the withdrawing numbers, they're the ones who are repressed and they're doing, they're oriented to the past, and they move away from people. Those kind of sound like negative things in a workplace, <laughs> but it's so valuable because they're the ones who remind us to pause. And it's not just a pause to ask what needs to be done. It's a pause of, hey, I think we need a break here. I think we need to take a breath. Can we look backwards and see, not just for the sake of it's always the way we've done it, but is there something that we could learn from something that was behind us? Is there something that's worth honoring in a tradition or something that we've done there? And if all we had was aggressive numbers in the room, there would just be constant conflict all the time. When you have someone who's able to pull away and withdraw, then you're able to stop that because <laughs> you have to chase them down to continue the conflict, right? So when you do it in a healthy way, right, because withdrawing can be unhealthy too. They can just hide because they want to hide. But when you can do it in a healthy way, it's like, you know what? I think this is not being productive right now. Can we just kind of put it on pause and we'll come back to it when we can whatever, right? So again, it, we talked earlier about the Enneagram being dynamic. It changes based on how healthy or unhealthy we are. So for all of these stances, there's a healthy version of what that looks like and there's an unhealthy version of what that looks like. So when we can do our best to be aware of where we are on that scale and then present and bring forth the healthiest side of that, again, just, man, fireworks go off in your department in a good way. So one thing I want to talk about, and I know we've uh, we've mentioned it a couple times as we've gone, is the idea of un of understanding these numbers and the relationships and the tryouts and everything when it comes to leadership, especially pastoral leadership. Mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, for one reason or another, most church media people have had negative reactions, experiences with pastors specifically uh, who've dealt with some of that church hurt either the the pastors don't under understand specifically what it takes to do uh, what they do they're not communicating properly expectations mm -hmm. uh, any number of reasons unfortunately it's more common than we'd, we'd like to admit it number one I think that Next to the pastors themselves, church media people are more aware than anybody else that pastors are also just humans. Hmm. Uh, they're they're flawed humans that are trying to figure it out. Um, and there, there's nothing wrong with that, acknowledging the fact that your pastor is human, your pastor is one of these numbers, yeah. and your pastor has some deep desires that are down in, in himself, more than just leading the flock, more than just guiding the church, and understanding what that is and being able to work with them on, on a level that's, that both can satisfy what they're looking for and being able to communicate exactly what it is that you need to be successful can be, can be paradigm shifting yeah. when it comes to your uh, ability to perform well in, in your position. That's so good. Yeah, and I think what you're saying about realizing that your pastors are also just people. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I can't even tell you, like, even very recently, I had this realization with my pastor. It's like, yeah, he's still just a person. And for whatever reason, right. we 
automatically do it to our senior pastors and leaders. It's like we put them in this different world or different level. It's like, no, they should be different in the way that they deal with it. It's like, no, they don't. They're still getting stressed out by yeah. this. They still have big decisions right. to make that are going to affect all of us. And it's like, he's still just a person trying to do good things. Right. Mm-hmm. For sure. And yeah. I know that there's a lot of stressed out pastors right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Just right. as stressed out as church media people. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and and hoping obviously that they're not taking it out on anybody, but I know I know I can feel it even in our own church. I'm sure everybody can feel it in their own ch- church, especially if you work closely with the pastor. And every pastor is going to handle it in a different way. But if you can, number one, understand that they are human and they're trying to figure <laughs> this out as we go. This just as unprecedented for them as it is for us, and the the difficulties that they're having to work with through this lens of whatever one through nine that they're dealing with. I think that that understanding and putting all those pieces together is going to be able to help patch the very often lack of communication or understanding or whatever between the higher forms of leadership and the church meeting person. And I think to me, that that was one of the reasons I was so excited about having you on, Brian, because I think for a lot of church media people, that line of communication being damaged in one way or the mm. other leads to I would say the vast majority of the burnout that we see in church media people today, the the disenfranchisement, yep. Yep. The, the the brokenness that we see. And 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 when we can acknowledge that they're human beings, that they have desires and motivations and all that kind of thing, and that 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 you can communicate them like they're people, um, I think it opens up this potential, this possibility for collaboration. Like I, I don't think most people are, are that I don't think most media people were necessarily expecting or, or even thought that could be there. But when you have that relationship with your pastor, when you're able to be open with them, when you understand what they're looking for and, and they understand what you're looking for, I mean, sparks can fly. The gospel can move so fluidly between that. And that's the way with any team. But being that this is a church, church media podcast, I think that there's such utility in understanding uh, not only your number, but the, the people above and around and below your number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Caleb, I'm glad you're around, man. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're around. <laughs> well, so here's something else we didn't talk about yet with the Enneagram is that there's all these crazy looking lines that connect all the numbers, right? So if you go Google the Enneagram diagram, you'll see it. And there's all these crazy lines that connect between the numbers. And we talked about the Enneagram being a, a dynamic system. We've really only talked about what you look like in your number. There's so much more to it because when you're specifically stressed out or when you're specifically feeling good, you move around that diagram. You're never not your number. So I'm never not a one. But when I'm stressed out, I know that I start to look like a four. And that means I start to get real moody. I start to get all in my feelings and feeling like something's missing or something's wrong about me. And I start to beat myself up even more than normal. On the other side of that, when I'm feeling really good about myself, I start to look like a seven. I get a lot more spontaneous. I have a lot more energy. I'm a lot more carefree and positive about things. And knowing yourself enough and knowing about your number enough to recognize those signs is the eye-opening piece. You know, we talked at the beginning about the Enneagram being like a GPS system. And what that means is it shows you where you are, it shows you where you're trying to go, and it shows you where you've been. And when you can chart a path for yourself 
to the freedom and the transformation that the gospel offers. And when you know that you reflect God in a certain way, and that's the destination, is to reflect God and be his image in this world. And set, punch that into the GPS, right? <laughs> and then you look at where you are, and you know that you're on the way there. It's this amazing journey that happens. And when you start to learn and recognize the behaviors that happen when you're in your number. So when I'm feeling good about myself on just kind of an average normal day, and then when I'm really stressed out like all of us are, and I know what to expect when I'm stressed out, those serve like rumble strips on the road. And if I know that I tend to get moody or start like getting real in my feelings about stuff, or start realize, like asking myself why this is missing or that is bad or why I'm wrong or bad in this kind of way or that kind of way, if I hear myself talking to myself that way, I immediately know that I'm on the rumble strips and I'm getting off course. It's like, oh, that's an immediate sign to me. I'm stressed out right now. Because we don't always know how to identify that. On the other side of that, if I see myself getting real spontaneous and goofy and fun-loving and like playing jokes on people or whatever, like having a laugh, it's like, oh, I must actually feel be feeling pretty good. I'm actually pretty healthy right now. So it's awesome. It's right. So there's these rumble strips that show you when you're going off course and it's like mile markers or highway signs. It's say like, you know how you've been driving for a long time and you kind of haven't seen a sign in a while. Like, am I even going in the right direction? Sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, seeing that sign is a breath of fresh air and a big sigh of relief. It's like, I'm still going in the right direction. So the Enneagram functioning like a GPS is kind of like that in a way. It's this journey that we take towards the reflection of God that he created us to be with all these signs along the way, whether they're rumble strips and warning signs or they're highway signs and mile markers to show us when we're on or off track. And no matter what, a GPS is still just a GPS. It's not going to get you anywhere. You have to get in the car. You have to start moving, right? And um, I was driving around the neighborhood today even. I had to punch in an address to find something. And you ever have it like when you pull up Google Maps or whatever you use and the map is just kind of spinning for a while <laughs> and it doesn't oh, yeah, know what direction yeah. you're pointed in until you start driving the car, right? Sometimes it takes a few seconds of actual movement for the map to orient itself and it's like that. If you've been unaware of your behaviors and your motivations for so long that you don't even know what you are, it's going to take a little bit of movement for you to recognize and know which direction to start moving in. Like it's always kind of the most stressful when you're starting out near an intersection (laughs) and there's an immediate turn. It's like, wait, do I go left? Do I go right? I don't know. I kind of want to back up the car so I know what I'm doing. So it's kind of like that. And, And the same thing with the rumble strips and the warning signs. It's like there are times that you're wide awake and you're driving and for whatever reason you got distracted and you hit the rumble strip and you can immediately course correct and adjust and pull off that strip, right? It's like, oop, that was just a mistake. I'm good now. And then... There are times that you're on that 12-hour road trip and you are literally falling asleep at the wheel and you're riding that rumble strip for a while. And you have to literally wake up to yourself before you even realize you've been on that rumble strip. So you might be operating out of this unhealthy behavior. You might be operating way outside your number or in this like real bottom part (laughs) of the shadow side that we talked about. And you may not even realize it because you're so asleep to yourself. You haven't woken up yet. And when you can realize that your pastor or your boss is that exact same way, they may be asleep to themselves. They may be so stressed out they don't know what to do because they don't have the tools to deal with it because who does? Now I can approach them with so much more grace and care 
for them as a person before I do it, before I shoot off a quick, thoughtless email, <laughs> firing back my response because I'm annoyed by because they asked for this thing, right? It changes my perception and my reactions. And it, it gives me pause long enough to respond rather than to react. So Brian, in our coaching session, you talked about identifying that thing, that thing that you we all know we do whenever mm-hmm. we get too stressed or whenever we fall to the to the negative side of a number. Um, can you go into that a little bit, how we can identify that and deal with that before we send off that, <laughs> that hateful email, before we fire back our direct for adding one more video to our plate? Like, how can we identify and stop those things? Yeah, I can try. That's that's a deep one. So let's let's kind of review that shadow side thing, and I think that'll kind of help us a little bit. For ones, that shadow side looks like you turn into an absolute perfectionist. When you start getting overly and hypercritical of everybody and everything, it's like, well, that's wrong. Well, that's not the right way to do it. Well, that I can't believe they turned that in. It's like, oh, I can't believe he said that, or whatever it is. You've gone beyond doing that to yourself, and now you're doing it to everyone else around you. That's an immediate warning sign, right? All of us have this critic that kind of lives in our head, right, and tells us when we do things right or wrong. The telltale sign of a one is that inner critic is there all the time, 24 hours a day. So for me, there's a voice in my head yelling at me all day long that I did it wrong. If you can understand that about your boss or your direct report or someone else, that if they are a one, they have someone yelling at them all day long that they are doing it wrong. Doesn't that change the way you see them? For sure. Doesn't yeah. that change your level of compassion for them? And then to, to know like the way I responded, the way I did, that grace requires nothing of me, it also requires nothing of you to extend a little grace to them. Right. So if I see a one being overly critical of things, that's kind of my warning sign. It's like, you know what? They're really stressed out right now about something. So instead of going back to them and demanding this thing or saying, why wasn't this done yet? Or how come you messed this up? Can I approach that with a lot more grace and caution and care for that person and kind of diffuse the situation before it even starts? For twos, what it looks like when they get real unhealthy is all of a sudden, instead of just being helpful, they need to be helpful. You'll notice yourself inserting yourself into other people's situations and helping people who never asked for it. And it turns into this weird codependence thing. It's like, I need you to need me because I really need to be validated right now. So let me help you with this thing that I think that you need that you never asked for. That's a warning sign. And if there's someone that in your life that you suspect of being a two and you notice them trying to do that to you and they're like, oh, let me help you with this. Oh, hey, you needed this. Or, hey, I thought you might need a whatever this is. And you're kind of like, I never asked for that. Get away from me. (laughs) 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 Right? Instead of that kind of response, it's like a, hey, thank you so much. And here's the thing. Twos need to be needed so much their passion or their their downfall, their core weakness is pride, which you would never imagine of a two because they seem like the least prideful people. But the pride comes in because they won't admit that they have needs of their own. They're so happy to meet everyone else's needs because they're trying to get that need met to be affirmed and loved. So what if you turn the table on them? It's like, thank you so much. Hey, what can I do for you right now? What would that do to a relationship? And Caleb, like you said, like how how would that work to build trust on a team? If your pastor, sure. <laughs> if your pastor ever came to you and was like, "Hey, you seem a little stressed. What can I do for you right now?" Good God, that would save so many relationships <laughs> and yeah, church staffs honestly. and teams. And Nick and Zach, I mean, you guys can kind of respond to that if you want. 
feel like I'm processing. I don't know if I want to reveal myself more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> processing and don't want to like set myself up there for. Uh... I don't know. Caleb, have you ever seen me behave in, in, in that kind of way? Because you've seen me when I've been in healthy and healthy. So, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting in in a way. Obviously, I, as I joked in the beginning, I have very specific taste in friends. I, I happen to have a lot of friends that happen to be twos. Uh, when I see when they're stressed, it, it's it is a lot of helping people. It also is a lot of to me. It almost looks like almost a clamoring to help or I, I wouldn't say control, uh, but I would to, say control. Yeah, yeah I would it say might control. be control. I would say control. It's, it's this, it's almost this desperate flailing yeah. of just, if they can't control the thing in their life that is stressing them out, they will try to control the things, anything else that could possibly be causing anybody, any amount of stress mm-hmm. um, uh, out, you know, and, to be next to a two during that time, obviously it can be, you know, somewhat beneficial, but it's very clearly, (laughs) clearly easy to see. I don't think they hide it as well. At least my twos don't, right. They don't hide it as well as I think they think they do. It's good to know that it's good to be aware of that so that, you can you can help kind of talk them off the proverbial ledge yeah. and just just help themselves. Well, and this is kind of fun too. This is not something we talked about at all, but all of those lines on the enneagram connect the numbers together. And when you're unhealthy or stressed, you start to move towards another number and pick up those behaviors. For a two, you start to look like an eight when you're really stressed out, which means you need to control something, and you kind of turn into a bull. So instead of saying yes to everybody and wanting to help, all of a sudden this whole other side of you comes out, you get real aggressive, you start saying no to things, you start pushing people around, and you start controlling your environment. That's never happened. (laughs) I'm just going to stay quiet over here. (laughs) I don't need to add to that. So again, again, just being aware of these things and knowing that that happens, those are your rumble strips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. right. If you notice that you're doing them or if you know and love someone of that number and you see them doing it and you have that relationship and trust with them, you can call them out. It's like, hey, you're doing this thing. What's going on mm-hmm. with you? Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just to call them out. It's not just to say you're being a jerk right now. It's kind of a, hey, you're really stressed and I love you too much to let you continue. What do you need right now? Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I don't want to stop talking about myself here. So why don't we? Why don't we go into? Uh, no, that's okay. Why don't we? Okay. Why don't we go into we the next number, right uh, which yeah. is Caleb? I mean, I mean, a three. Why don't we go to threes? Let's yeah. Let's shift the focus a little. So threes, they'll notice they're unhealthy when they start getting real narcissistic. <laughs> it sounds awful, but when they start turning everything into about being about them. When they start bragging about the things that they've done or how successful they've been or the accomplishments that they've achieved, that's when you know a three is kind of spiraling out. So when you see that happening in a three or someone you suspect to be a three, it's like, ah, something might not be right there. And instead of taking them down a notch, instead of saying, well, oh yeah, you're not that great, whatever it is, it's like, hey, something's wrong. Let's identify it. It's like, hey, what's going on right now? Right? Being able to pause and take them out of that. For a four, they kind of, turn into their feelings. <laughs> Fours at some point when they're really unhealthy, they actually believe that they are their feelings. So if you know someone like that and they seem like they're real deep in their heads, you notice that they're pulling away from everything, it's this sense that something inside of them is inherently missing or they're irredeemably flawed. You can pull them out of that. If you're able to say, hey, 
I see you, I mean, those three words would change a four's life anyway. And if you can pull them out of their feelings and say, dude, there's, there's a lot more than just your feelings. Your feelings are valid, but here's what's real right now, right? Because feelings change second to second. For a five, they're going to withdraw. It's like when you turn off an old tube TV or a monitor and you see that little light blip down to a circle and then it disappears. You'll see that in a five's eyes because <laughs> when they're stressed <laughs> out or when they're overwhelmed, they literally shut down. Nines have the least amount of energy on the Enneagram. Fives have the same exact amount every day. And when you use it up, it's gone. There's no recharge. There's no refresh. No nap will help. So when you notice a five shutting down, then you know that it's stressed out and it's too much. So again, you can take that moment to check in on them and say, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Why don't, instead of dumping another project on them, just say, hey, why don't you go take a break? For a six, they're unable to trust the future <laughs> or anybody at that point. So we talked about ones having an inner critic. Sixes have an inner committee. So there's this constantly this cocktail party in their head. Everyone's telling them something different to do. And the last person on earth that they can trust is themselves. So you'll see them worst case scenario planning. You'll see they look a little bit frantic, like they're not sure what to do or what the next right thing is. So if you can reassure them and give them some sense of things are going to be okay, that might be enough to pull them out. For sevens, they have this need to avoid pain. Imagine Tigger or Peter Pan, right? Constantly bouncing, constantly positive. At some point, a seven is going to come up against something in their life that they cannot reframe their way out of. And when they hit that wall, it's, it's a little heartbreaking to see it. But it's this idea, it's like, if you can accept that only God can fulfill what it is that you're looking for, you don't have to keep running from the pain. For eights, we talk about eights like they're snow plows, right? It's just a tool. <laughs> On a good day, they're plowing a path for everyone else so they can move through life safely. On a bad day, they're plowing a path of destruction, <laughs> depending on which direction they're headed in. When they're unhealthy, they're a snowplow on the rampage. They're the bull in the china shop. You will know an unhealthy eight when you see it because it is explosive and it is scary. The, the desire of an eight is to know that they will not be betrayed, to know that they can actually trust someone and be vulnerable with them. If you can put money in the relational bank with an eight to communicate to them that they are trusted, that you will not betray them, that will do a miracle for that relationship. For nine, their shadow side is that they desire to avoid all conflict and they just want peace. So when they start to spin out, their deadly sin is kind of sloth. And it doesn't mean they don't do anything because they're doing stuff all the time. It's just that none of it is productive. But a nine is known to do what we call narcotizing. So they just veg out. A nine will just shut down. Similar to a five um, that they withdraw from the world and look like they shut down. But a nine will find whatever their comfort thing is and just do that. So if you find a nine who's on the couch Netflix binging or sitting with their favorite bag of Cheetos or playing whatever video, mindless video game it is that they're doing, whatever that activity is for them, that's how they know something's not right. If they can't get themselves up off the couch or out of their bed to do something, something's probably not right and they need to be checked in on. So here's the challenge for you guys. Here's the challenge for the black bar crowd. It's like, what if your team just went through and everyone was able to identify themselves in their type. And even if you can't do that, we talked about the stances, we talked about centers of intelligence and just using process of elimination. You know, just knowing that could change everything for your relationships with your team and with your pastors. So if I know that I approach life with thinking, feeling, or doing, if I know my orientation to time 
and the other people around me. And just knowing that we do things differently and we all see through nine different sets of lenses, what could that do for our team? And for our leadership, whether I'm in leadership or reporting to leadership, it's like you don't have to know your leader or your pastor's type to approach them differently. Just don't forget the rules, right? Don't attack them with a number and don't use your number as a shield against them. Right. Don't ever say, well, I can't help it. I'm just a, you can always help it, right? Especially now that you know kind of what the default behavior is for yourself. So if you do your own work, once you've identified your number, then you can be aware of how you see the world, how you inhabit it, how you approach it. You know that your own motivations are going to be different from someone else's motivations because you guys might share behaviors and look the same in the way you do things, but the reasons why you do them are completely different. And then you can be much less quick to judge each other, especially your leaders and your pastors, for what they do because you can start to understand why they're doing it. And when you start to understand the why of people, suddenly they become a lot more human. And then... When you recognize that God has put these people in your life right now for a reason, (laughs) so that you can work together, so that you can be the body of Christ together, so that you can be sanctified together, because believe me, we all need something torn out of us, and God has put us together to do that, right? As iron sharpens iron, we need each other to rub against each other to get those rough spots off. So once we walk away with an awareness of all of these things, of all of these behaviors, of all these motivations, of all these shadow sides, of all the reflections of God, it's like, can you imagine a future where we treat each other the way God created us to be? And when we see each other for the full potential of what's available, not just from our leaders, but from each other, and we can approach that with a relationship of trust. And if there isn't trust there, if you've already been hurt by your leader, it's like, Maybe you can have some grace and compassion and understanding for why it got handled that way. And you don't have to be so quick to judge them the way I was. It can really do so much to heal those relationships or to diffuse conflicts before they happen. Wow. (laughs) That's, that's really good, Brian, dude. Thank you so much just for spending all this time and sharing just your knowledge with us. Um, I hope that if you're listening, um, and you made it through both episodes that you, uh, are going to come out of this stronger and that you're able to get a lot of ideas to take to your teams and to your leadership. Um, so Brian, before we let you go, mm-hmm. um, I know we've taken up a lot of your time. Would you just, uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, your coaching and just sure. tell us a little bit about what you have to offer because this conversation, though you crammed a lot in here, this is not, uh, <laughs> this is not it. Yeah. <laughs> There's much more that yeah. we could talk about there's way yes so yeah so i do coaching and it's i do it because of how much i realize that this changed my life so if i can offer that to other people um my ultimate goal is to help people see the habits that they have because it's like most of us live on autopilot right and we don't even realize it or we don't know why we do it and what the coaching can help you do is see those habits so that you can break out of them find freedom experience gospel transformation and live out your created calling. You can do that. I have a website. It's just gospelcenteredenneagram.com. I think we talked about there's a free PDF that you can get there that shows you what the gospel means for all nine different numbers. Um, And what I'd love to do is to host an additional kind of a webinar where we can interact with each other and do a chat. I can answer questions. So if you go to gospelcenteredenneagram.com slash blackbar, 
and just spell the whole thing out. I think that's what you guys do, right? B-L-A-C-K-B-A-R. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, gospelcenteredenneagram.com slash blackbar. I'll have a landing page set up there for you guys to sign up for a free webinar. Um, as many people as want can sign up for it. I'll collect some questions before we go live on it. Um, and I also want to throw out, so my coaching sessions are obviously not free, but for the first 25 people that sign up, I'm going to enter you guys to win a free coaching session. Very Ooh, cool. That sounds Ooh, sweet. Very nice. I mean, I, I know we had to, uh, we, we shared our coaching session, but <laughs> I think yeah. in one way or another, each of us were probably like at some point tearing up or um, deeply, deeply hit, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Kind of like whenever someone picks you up by your bootstraps and slaps you around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way, of course. So, I mean, I yes. can't, I can't recommend a coaching session enough. And this is just a really yeah. good opportunity. So, um, whether you're listening uh, in time for the webinar or afterwards, uh, this is just a really great opportunity, guys and gals. So, uh, make sure you take advantage of that and the um, just all the things that Brian is offering. For sure. Uh, thank you again, Brian, just hey, for taking the time out of your evening to share with us the knowledge that you've learned. Sure um, thing. You know, I know. I feel like I'm just walking away from this conversation uh, with so much in my mind i feel like i'm gonna have to go back and listen to this a couple times just to make sure i get everything out of it that i can for myself and for my team so thank you so much yeah glad to be here guys thanks so much for listening to part two of our enneagram conversation with brian lee check out the show notes of today's podcast for a link to brian's black bar video on the enneagram as well as a link to his free enneagram webinar happening on june 29th 2020 As always, you can connect with Black Bar both on Instagram and Facebook. And if you'd like to keep today's conversation going, you can join us and our community on the Black Bar Discord. We can't wait to see you next week as we uncover more secrets of the church media and marketing world.